I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. You have no idea how lucky you got this morning. Let me tell you a little behind-the-scenes information about Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry here on this Wednesday episode. As uh, producer Amy and I sat down early this morning to plot out the course of today's show, we were going to start with a Senate subcommittee hearing and highlights thereof. Yeah, we were going to hear from senators rambling on about their views of Section 230 and how social media uh, should or shouldn't be viewed as a publisher and blah, blah, blah. Well, and and then a little press release came across my desk. From the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies, the headline reading, Gail Miller and family announce agreement to sell a majority interest in the Utah Jazz to Qualtrics founder Ryan Smith. It goes on to say the sale will include the Utah Jazz, Vivint Arena, and the Salt Lake City Stars. That's the development league team. And Smith, Ryan Smith, founder of Qualtrics, a billionaire, commits to keeping the NBA team here in the state of Utah. So due to that, you get a reprieve from uh, Senate ramblings. We may squeeze them in later on. Uh, But to help me uh, get a better sense of what this sale means uh, to Utah, to the team, to the Miller family, to Qualtrics, uh, and to everyone interested, invited to the program here, Alex Curie, co-host of KSL's Unrivaled. Alex, sir, how are you? I'm good, Lee. How are things, man? Wild morning. Yeah, really wild, huh? Did you uh, d- did you at any point uh, over the past few days expect that you were going to wake up and hear this from Gail Miller? No. Today and, and, is a day I have never been able to imagine. Today, my family and I are here to announce that we've decided to sell a majority interest in the Utah Jazz and its affiliate business, affiliated businesses to Ryan and Ashley Smith. Were, were there any hints that something like this was in the works? No, and and in fact, uh, I mean, if you'd have asked anybody, you would have said, well, no, the Millers have just decided that this is a community team and they are the stewards of this, of this uh, community team. And, you know, if anything, it would just be kind of... Uh, handed down to people who were who were kind of the 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 trust you know uh kind of stewards the rest of the way you know that there wouldn't really be a quote-unquote owner that's what the feeling kind of was it was always just going to be the millers or somebody associated with the millers or the miller group you know and ceos going forward of the miller group but um it, it was it was quite a shock i don't know anybody who who knew anything about something like this or heard rumblings at all about something like this. But apparently Ryan Smith and Ashley Smith approached uh, the Miller foundation and said, Hey, uh, would this be something that would be interesting to you? Because we would love to uh, take this thing and run with it. And I think that they've earned the trust of uh, the Miller family, obviously over the last little while to be able to the last few years with their partnership uh, with Qualtrics and, and, uh, and the jazz to be able to say, uh, we feel comfortable with you guys doing it. And the first thing that Gail Miller said in her statement 
was uh, how much she loves these two people and how they they have good, how great their character is and how good of people they are. Number one. And so I thought that uh, that was interesting. Uh, and I know that people were worried about the team being sold. And that's just I don't think that's an option. I mean, now we know, obviously, that that was part of the stipulation of them, uh, you know, not that was a stipulation of them taking over, you know. And so this is a Utah this is a Utah to Utah move, which is what people want to hear. Yeah, I, I was completely caught off guard. Uh, and, and I felt funny about it because my desk, uh, as I sit and prepare for each day's program, I stare at the Vivint Arena all day long. Yeah. Uh, and to to learn today that there are some wheelings and dealings going on just across the street, uh, fascinating stuff. Well, what do you think? Let me ask you this: What do you think motivated this sale? I can't help but wonder about the other properties in the Larry H. Miller group of companies. We've had COVID. Uh, none of those companies, no company, is immune to the impact of yeah. this. Do you think this was a sale of necessity? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, typically with <laughs> selling a. This is a team they bought for, you know, 20 something million dollars that Larry H. Miller bought back in, you know, the early 80s and now is worth more likely around two billion dollars. So return on investment wise, uh, certainly they have to figure out what an operating business is going to be able to do. And they have people, I'm sure, that that can calculate those things and, and give them an idea as to yeah. how to operate that. But uh, this is this is wholly different. I mean, I think what happens with this is. Uh, you know, Gail Miller, I think there are two things. How much do you want? We all have to balance this, right? How much do you want to actually be involved in the day-to-day juggernaut that is an NBA franchise? And you have people that run it for you. They have have a great general manager. They have great, uh, you know, team officials and team presidents, things like that. Great. Except for the face of the NBA for, for for the Jazz, for the NBA, or the Miller family. And I think that at some point, you know, you go, at what point do I, can I really say that I can do all of it at once? And um, I think that this was a perfect opportunity that she probably found to be able to say, uh, we want to be able to still keep this thing in the community and pass it off to somebody that we feel like, you know, is almost family. That's the kind of vibe that you sort of get from this. And it's somebody who's been dealing with the executive level of the jazz for a long time. So, um I think that they – I don't know if it had anything to do with, uh, you know, paring down business or figuring things out. Certainly, they've had to already do that along the way. Right. Uh, but I think that mostly this was a move to say, you know, uh, we don't want to be involved in the everyday actual, like, administrative and just, you know, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a grind. And, you know, you right. think it's a grind for these players – and the uh, and the officials and the and you know all these people that are associated with the Jazz, but when people think of the Jazz, when the NBA thinks of the Jazz, like when you know the commissioner Adam Silver thinks of the Jazz, his first thing that comes to mind, I guarantee, is is uh, is Gail Miller and the Miller family, and because that's what David Stern, the commissioner before him, taught him is that Utah is a model franchise for the league, yeah. and so. I think that's what they want to kind of maintain. And I, I predict that a certain measure of that will continue. I think that the association with the Miller family and the Jazz, in terms of public perception and the perception of the league, I think that will, will endure uh, in part because they are, they're not selling out. They are selling merely uh, a majority share of their ownership and will retain yeah. uh, you know, a certain measure of ownership. I'm anxious to see how those numbers uh, shake out once, uh, once the deal, and if the deal is ever made wholly public. Uh, before I let you go, talk to me about what kind of majority owner you think we'll see in Ryan Smith. Is he uh, well, is he a Mark Cuban type? Uh, <laughs> what are we going to see out of Smith? That, I mean, that's a that's an apt comparison. I mean, that's it, it, I don't know. The thing is, is he's already been very hands on. 
You know, he's kind of at the forefront. People know who this guy is, even if they don't recognize him. They do when they they wouldn't say, oh, that's Ryan Peterson or, or that's Ryan Smith necessarily. They'd say, oh, I know that guy. That's the five for the fight guy or that's the guy who's always on the sideline at the jazz games. Uh, Ryan Smith is a is, you know, around the organization's ubiquitous. I would love for him to be as involved as, you know, I don't I, I it's like a mix. You don't want as much of a Mark Cuban and a Jerry Jones type of an influence on the, yeah, as yeah. an owner, but you do want somebody, I think that Ryan Smith is a fan. You know what I mean? Like he is, I mean, he always has been. And so that's kind of where you want to start. And he's also very innovative. So those are two things that generally work out really, really well in any business and especially right now in the sports world. So I think Ryan Smith is going to be super smart with the team and cross your fingers. I don't know if that translates into them, making that next step because I think they're there, Lee. They're close That's to my... getting to be really good. And, yeah. and you got to have great ownership for that uh, to be willing to to invest in that and, and take part in all that. And uh, so I think that, I think it's a really good move because, number one, yeah, he's a giant freaking fan of the Jazz, which is what ultimately as a fan you want your ownership to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're all aware of the what was the $7 billion figure that he and his uh, dad and brother as co-founders of Qualtrics took home after the sale there. Yeah. Uh, if me, let's say, let's say he uh, he spends about a billion and a half on his uh, on his ownership stake. Let's push it up to two billion. He's got a few billion to spare. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think we're moving into an era of 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 aggressive increased spending yeah. on players and talent? Uh, you know, I mean, the, the caps are what they are right now, and the luxury taxes are what they are. So if you want to spend a ton of money, you're going to get dinged for it. That's kind of how the league sort of uh, regulates uh, some parity in terms of talent. Uh, the Jazz's strength lies in the fact that their organization is like from top to bottom a really, really well-oiled machine and just a community-driven. Uh, they love the game. They have really smart coaches. They get really great players that work in Utah. You know what I mean? Like the ones that actually kind of get that this community is a little different than going to play in New York or right. New Jersey. And I think that's always been the strength. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if it. I don't know what it's going to mean in terms of spending, but, you know, it's a good time. Any time is a good time to own a piece of a sports franchise. And, uh, you know, you think about the return on investment for the Millers, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, but, (laughs) but I mean, Ryan Smith is thinking about that still same terms because sports, uh, properties are just going through the stinking roof. And if you got a couple billion dollars lying around, then, uh, it would it'd be dumb if you didn't do something like this. Yeah. Uh, Alex Curie, co-host of KSL's Unrivaled. Thank you so much for your insight here and your conversation. You bet, man. We'll talk to you later. See ya. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, KSLSports.com's Ben Anderson, a Utah Jazz insider, joins me next. We're going to talk about that legacy trust into which the Jazz was placed just three short years ago. Uh, What does that mean for today? What does it mean for uh, the plans by the Miller family? Uh, We'll get into those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Wild news just across the street here from Broadcast House. The Vivint Arena looks like it's going to be sold to Ryan Smith along with the Utah Jazz and some other properties, all that pending uh, NBA approval. But uh, it's a fascinating piece of news here to wake up to this morning. I told you I told you earlier as we went into that conversation with Alex Curry how lucky you are that this news broke here this morning because the original plan right now, you and I were going to be monitoring a Senate subcommittee hearing. <laughs> 
No, instead, we get to look back and uh, reminisce about our uh, days following the jazz under the ownership of the Miller family and now uh, wonder about the future as it transitions into a new era of its existence uh, under the majority ownership of Ryan and Ashley Smith. Now, I when I when I first heard this news break, my my thoughts instantly traveled back to 2017. Early 2017, Gail Miller announced that the Utah Jazz would be placed into a legacy trust. Here's Gail Miller in January of 2017. With the approval of the NBA, our family has transferred ownership of the Utah Jazz and the Vivint Smart Home Arena to a trust with the intention of always keeping the Utah Jazz in Utah. With my children, my grandchildren, their grandchildren and posterity, we will continue to oversee the trust and serve as stewards of these important resources for Utah. Now, I, I interpreted that to mean that the team would stay in the family, and more importantly, the team would stay in Utah. Uh, from the words shared just this morning by Gail Miller and Ryan Smith, that looks to be exactly the case, that the team will certainly stay in Utah. Uh, but this this trust and the legacy trust and what was established in 2017, what's the future of that? Here this morning, Gail Miller addresses the trust. Now, there's been a lot of attention given in recent years to my putting the team in a legacy trust. This was done in connection with my estate plan with the objective of assuring our loyal fans that the team would remain in Utah. I am fully convinced that with this sale, the objectives of that trust will still be honored. And I want you to know that the new owners have made the same commitment to keep the team in Utah. Helping us understand this aspect of the deal and the greater impact on the community of this announcement, Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz Insider and writer for KSLSports.com, joins us now. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Talk to me about this legacy trust. Does it dissolve now? Does it move? Does it shift to the minority ownership position of the team? What do you know about the trust? I don't believe the trust gets transferred now to Ryan Smith as the owner. I do think that was Miller family specific. It was to keep that team or to keep the team in the in that family's organization and companies for the next 30 years. And now that Ryan Smith has become the majority owner, that does not get transferred over to him, though, as you had said, and though you could hear Gail there in the, in the soundbite, that Ryan Smith and, and she believes that the, the intention is to keep the team here in the state. That's very good. That's that's very encouraging news. Uh, tell us now a little bit about uh, Ryan Smith, his relationship with the team, uh, his past attempts maybe to to, to court a sale. Uh, what, what will the team look like now with Ryan Smith? Yeah, I, I would imagine a lot of the things that are in place where the Jazz are a successful franchise, they make money, they win a lot of games. I imagine a lot of the day-to-day stuff that fans see is going to remain similar. I wouldn't expect Dennis Lindsay, who's the Utah Jazz Vice President of Basketball Operations, who makes the decisions on roster moves. I don't think he changes. I don't think Quinn Snyder changes. I don't think the culture of the team itself that fans have a relationship with is going to change dramatically. I would expect that we're going to see a much more vocal, prominent face from ownership that fans haven't seen since Gail Miller took over. But if you remember... Larry Miller was very involved in the team. He was often seen walking into the locker room after games at halftime. He had verbal spats with the Jazz stars, including Carl Malone. I don't think Ryan Miller necessarily has that temperament, but I think we're going to see maybe a more similar approach to his hands-on that we saw from Larry Miller. Mark Cuban-esque? 
Yeah, very Mark Cuban-esque. And I think that is kind of the model for ownership. And look, Mark Cuban's been fabulous. Dallas was absolutely the worst franchise in the NBA for a long time until Mark Cuban took over. He's had his flaws. He certainly had his learning moments. But right now, he's considered one of the five best owners in the league. Yeah. Uh, going back to the, the, the legacy trust, not necessarily the trust itself, but some of uh, what were the, the motivations at least expressed by uh, Mrs. Miller when she established the trust was to keep it in the family. Uh, it seemed like the, the legacy of the team was destined to be under the Miller name for, for some time to come. And at least in my you know amateur estimation of things, it, it seems to me that this is a change of course. Do you think this was as a sale of necessity? Here's what I think happened. I think Gail Miller and the legacy of Larry Miller was concerned that once the children of the family took over, and there's, what, five Miller kids now, I want to say, once that got passed on, you get competing interests on what the best direction of the team is. And it could have led to the team being sold, being moved out of the state. I think it created real issues, which is why, in fact, a lot of the kids don't have a strong relationship or roles within the team right now. They'll serve on some board of governor meetings. Those are going to be gone now that Ryan Smith is taking over. It was just too many cooks in the kitchen. I think that they found an owner that has strong business sense, a history in the state of Utah, understands the culture of the state of Utah and all the complexities that has both from a social standpoint with a business standpoint that they got one name, Ryan Smith and his wife, Ashley, that can come in, own it, not outright, they'll still own it with the Millers, but be the controlling interest, sit on on the board of governor's meetings. I think having one face do that probably really meant a lot to the Miller family, and that's why this move was made. It feels like it can continue this jazz legacy without being split up. And the history the history of Smith's relationship with the Miller family, with the Larry H. Miller group of companies, and specifically the jazz here and the other entities he's purchasing, uh, it seems like his installation here, that his taking of a majority uh, share will ensure something re- resembling continuity, the, the feel and spirit of the Utah Jazz and the organization, I don't anticipate will change. I don't think so either. Now, here's where it gets difficult. He's grown up on the outside looking at the Jazz as a fan and understanding what that culture means as a fan. That culture probably feels somewhat different if you've been in the family or you've been raised in that family or you've been operating that business. So does he come in mimicking what he thinks that culture is or does he have a strong grasp on what that culture is? Because that can be two different things if he's trying to emulate what they're doing versus just trying to carry on what they're doing. That could potentially create some issues, but I think he's probably got a pretty strong understanding of what it means to the, the, the state socially, culturally, and why they're so important. Uh, I hopefully his longtime uh, sponsorship relationship has given him a, l- a little more of a glimpse than would ha- be available to a, a typical fan. Uh, but let me let me ask you this: uh, the Salt Lake Bees were mentioned in the initial press release that management will shift, but ownership will r- remain in control of the the Miller family. Explain that, please. And my understanding of this, at least my my guess on this, is that ownership of minor league affiliates in Major League Baseball still goes to the top. So where they are the affiliate of the uh, the Angels right now, the Angels owners probably have technical full or, or some ownership of, of the Salt Lake Bees. It's not owned outright as a separate entity by the Miller family. So when they sell that interest, it's the ability to manage the team, the business operations, that aspect of it, but maybe not necessarily the affiliation who they belong to in Major League Baseball, who I know ends up paying the salaries of those players. It comes from the top down. The Miller family, by my understanding, is not paying the B's players' salaries. Oh, interesting. 
Interesting. Uh, ben Anderson, thank you so much. Utah Jazz insider and writer for KSLSports.com, also host of Jazz Notes podcast. Thanks so much for your insight here. Thanks for having me. All righty. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, we're speaking with an ER doctor. An ER doctor. What is being seen right now on the quite literal front lines of the battle against the coronavirus as here in Utah we endure an unprecedented surge? Words from the doc next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.